Welcome to Imperfect Action. I'm Brock Edwards, and you know this is the end of December 2019, and I just wanted to do a, a countdown, kind of a look back on the top 10 most popular, the most downloaded episodes so far. And I think this is going to be a a great segment. We've got the top 10. We're starting off with Rajesh Sethi, which I'll say a little bit more about in a minute. But, you know, the whole point behind the show is really the idea that imperfect action beats perfect inaction. That if we're going to get to our, our dreams, whether that's creating a business, advancing our career, or just taking on that big personal project in our life, that we have to get out of our own way. We have to take that first step. We have to take that next step. And as I look back over all the guests that we've had so far, The real common thread is that these are people who have gone their own way in their business and in their life. In fact, when I look at the top 10, that's really the only common thread. I mean, we've got people who are consultants, people who are authors, an HR person, a musician, uh, someone who disrupted the hotel and hospitality industry. I'm stumbling a little bit here because, like I say, these people are so different. Their path is not traditional, and there is so much, I think, that we can learn from how they've gone their own way, and we can use that information to both learn from and to inspire us and to realize that nothing is Instagram perfect, right? Nothing is Facebook fabulous, that life is full of ups and downs and twists and turns, and there's this real human aspect that we often miss. So anyway... Rajesh Sethi, he is a a serial entrepreneur, he's an author, and he's got a very unique approach to business and life. He approaches things from both a a very deeply philosophical as as well as deeply practical way of doing things. So in our short conversation, he discussed really the theme was listening to the marketplace to decide what you're going to do in your business. But along the way, we cover his ideas around blind spot insurance, karma accounts, practical generosity, alchemy, and also his learning app, Advisor. And this is a pretty cool app if you haven't seen it. I'd really recommend checking it out. Basically, he has, it's almost a, a micro podcasting where he has looked to experts and broken down their lessons into three minutes or less. And he has the experts uh, presenting. But like I say, everything is just really short. So it's just on-demand learning, basically. And of course, you know, there, there's the, the free version and the premium version, but well worth checking out. Audvisor, A-U-D-V-I-S-O-R. And really, as you might guess from the range of topics we discussed, that I, a summary doesn't really do the conversation justice. You've just got to jump in, listen, learn, and then put the ideas to work. And coming up next in the number nine spot, will be Lori Rudiman, and she was actually the very first guest on Imperfect Action. So her lessons have really kind of stood the test of time, and looking forward to introducing that to you later on. Welcome to Imperfect Action. I'm Brock Edwards, and as you know, this is the podcast, the show where we are looking for ideas and inspiration and information to help us take that first step or that next step to help us get out of our own way and be able to move forward. And of course, the idea behind the the very name of the podcast is that imperfect action beats perfect inaction. You know, better to be moving forward and working it out as we go. And today's guest is Rajesh Sethi. Uh, very excited for 
him to join me because he was referred by two previous guests to me, uh, Jason Womack and Dan Walschmidt, and both fabulous guests. And so I'm really excited for this conversation. Rajesh, can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. First of all, thank you so much for having me on the show, Brock. I'm so excited. I do three things. I'm an entrepreneur, which means that I cook up uh, some ideas and bring them to life. I have started more than half a dozen companies, some of them in India, some of them in the United States. And uh, I write books. I have written 16 books so far. My first book was published when I was 13 years old, and I have a blog with about 2,000 blog posts. The last thing is I teach courses for entrepreneurs at the Founder Institute and elsewhere. My focus there is how to bring your ideas to life. Those are the three things I do and that keeps me engaged. I don't want to say busy because there is always room for more work, but it keeps me engaged. Excellent. And wow, there's there's a ton we can dive into right there. Uh, now, on your website, it also mentions a, a fourth category. You refer to yourself as an alchemist. And I, I'm curious what you mean by that. I am big on mixing up things. Uh, uh, my friend, uh, who I, you might already know, his name is Gary Hamel, and he came up with a word called knowledge arbitrage. Because I am involved in so many things in so many different uh, diverse fields, there is always room for bringing knowledge from one field to another field. And in the new field, in the current field, it looked like uh, rocket science. In the previous field, it's common sense. So alchemist brings together things, mixes them up and creates gold. And I create knowledge or uh, some value that we can monetize or amplify something that is good. Oh, I love that thought, you know, um, and just thinking about it in that seems to be where much innovation comes from, uh, not necessarily brand new ideas, just new ideas transferred from one field to another. And, um, but I've never thought of it. Uh, say, say that again. 100% agreed because we don't need to create something brand new. There is always room for repurposing old stuff or uh, taking a new angle to something that's already existing and uh, making radical or in incremental improvements. Mm. Yeah. So now, Six plus companies, uh, 16 books, uh, granted, starting when you were 13, which is amazing in and of itself. Uh, how do you find time for all that? How, ma how many companies are you involved in right now? More than six, but uh, uh, many of them have grown to be really big ones. So basically, they don't need me as much as they used to need me before. I like to... Uh, roll up my sleeves and get, get my hands dirty. So after some time, there are more people involved, so they don't need me to get my hands dirty anymore. I'm on their boards now. But uh, the one company that I am very actively involved is called Oddvisor, A-U-D-V-I-S-O-R. And uh, I can say a little bit about it and also tell you how it's an alchemist project. Would that be helpful? Yeah, be... Oh, absolutely. So, uh, Advisor is like Pandora for uh, business advice. So, basically, Pandora is uh, you can click a button and then you can choose a channel and you can start listening to songs. In this case, you can uh, listen to a channel 
like management, leadership, marketing, sales, or you can pick an expert like the two people you mentioned, Jason Womack, Dan Waldschmidt, Tom Peter, Seth Godin. Then you can listen to their insights, all of them at the length of a song, but it's all short insights. So there is what I call the zero fluff possibility. That means there is, you cannot, in three minutes, you can't uh, add anything that is non-essential. So it will always be like a powerhouse of knowledge delivered at the push of a button. So are these curated ideas? I mean, has someone gone through and trimmed them down or does an algorithm just dice things up? No, it's actually all original insights. 99.9% of them were recorded by us by asking a question, the answer to which will become an insight. So Tom Peter, Seth Gordon, we have personally asked them questions and they've answered. And most of the time they answer it in less than two minutes. And interestingly, people say one of the biggest requests we have for our app, Proc, is that can we please have a functionality where we can listen to it in 2x or 3x speed? That shows the state of where we live in. So I, I need to get this three-minute thought down into a minute. Yes, um, that is the, that is the. I, I've still not figured out what they will do with the other minute, but uh, you know that is where it is. And then you know, people are busy, or at least they think they are. So they want everything condensed and packed and uh, in short bites, and that's what advisor does. So, uh, so when they record this, actually, are you getting them into a sound studio or are they just calling in and recording it over the phone? Are they doing it on their smartphone? How are you capturing all of that? All the three types that you mentioned, we have tried it. We have recorded some of them in the studio, some of them like a phone call that we are having now. Some of them, they, we send them questions, they answer on their own and then send us the voice files. So we have tried all three of them. And and you mentioned that this actually came out of, you know, kind of an alchemy idea. Um, yeah, exactly. Other, other than, uh, tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Between my first and second companies, I used to consult with a company called Audible, which is uh, now acquired by Amazon. And uh, the founders of Audible are my friends. And then I used to observe that, you know, people buy these audio books and then uh, uh, they buy them with the intention to listen to them. And sometimes uh, they listen to them completely, especially if it is fiction. But if it is nonfiction, I found that people give up most of the time halfway, one third of the way, three fourths of the way. Because again, you know, they have a standard excuse, very busy. And then by the time they get the new book, and then they are uh, listening to 16 books, all half listened to. And then I was thinking there must be another way, right? And then uh, uh, why is this happening? And then at that time, uh, in one of the conferences, I met Tim Westergren at Pandora, who was the founder of Pandora. And he was telling uh, me that uh, he himself is sometimes surprised how long people listen to Pandora. Some of them listen to it eight hours a day, always putting them in the background and then uh, doing their work. And I was thinking, here it is an entertainment company where people are listening to it up to eight hours a day. Um, and on the other hand, for something to learn, people pay the money, but they don't completely listen to it. 
what if there was pandora style advice but for business people and professional and personal development what if combine the two the length should be the length of a song but powerful advice but works exactly like pandora push a button and start learning that's when i mixed up two things and me and my partner we created this company Hmm. How do you know, and um, if you know, when an idea is going to be a good one? It's always uh, a hunch. It starts with a hunch, right? So it starts with a, like a project, and then uh, uh, you, whenever you start uh, an innovative idea, there can only be two possibilities: it is right or it is wrong. So very soon, the marketplace will tell us whether it's right or wrong. only our ego will tell us even if the marketplace is telling it's wrong our ego is sometimes coming in the way and saying no 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 there nobody is getting it right you are always right so keep going at it or if you set aside the ego a little bit you can listen to the marketplace because it's always telling the truth and then you can either pivot it make certain changes or you can just drop the idea and pick the next one where there is more market resonance so my theory is listening is the key to determining whether it's a good idea or not building on that you know one of the questions that, that I'm always kind of fascinated by and I ask a lot of people because I haven't figured out the best answer myself is how do you know when to persist with the idea it, you know it just needs more time it needs more exposure a little bit more development whatever or to just say no this idea is not going to work and, and set it aside yeah there are many answers to that question first of all main thing it depends on what i call your personal runway that means sometimes an idea takes a long time and you are investing a lot of money in it but you have a limited amount of resources in your personal bank account and your uh, how many ever favors uh, 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 that you can cash in right so there is only so much left in your in that karma ba- karma account and the actual account and the karma account so let's say the runway is about 9 months so you can decide how good of a marketer you are and to convince your spouse to extend it by another 3 months but after that it's curtains right so basically after that there is no support for you to continue that is one way to think about it that's like a uh, fundamental limitation for everyone the other way suppose that limitation was not there let's say you had a longer personal runway then it's a question of how fast is it getting market traction so then we start determining with is it a real business or is it is it a lifestyle business there is nothing wrong with a lifestyle business but we first have to be self aware whether what we are building is a lifestyle business or a real business if it is a lifestyle business then you have a longer uh, rope to play with because it's only you who will determine how long you want to stay, stay at it if it is a real business then you might want to raise money you might want to bring other people involved there will be employees there will be other people who are depending on um, to see it as a blockbuster success at that time 
you have to clearly see whether there is reasonable progress whether there is measurable progress in reasonable time and for that there are enough uh, comps just like in real estate business you when you want to determine the price of a home you look at the comps right similarly for a particular nature of business there are comps that are out there with growth rates the revenue numbers multiples and all those things if we are somewhere in the range then it is worth persisting but if you are completely off base then uh, we have to check whether you are dreaming or you are hallucinating right i call it you need a blind spot insurance is what i call it which which is where you go to some mentors people who have been there done that and have a come to jesus kind of meeting am i hallucinating or am i dreaming is it worth pursuing or is it worth is pausing or is it completely worth dropping it and moving on to the next one you most of the time you know the answer it's in your gut but sometimes out of social pressure and you don't want to look like a failure and you want to don't want to face that truth you just keep extending it if you listen to your gut and your heart the answer is there but whether you have the courage to listen to the answer is the question Mm, yeah, you know, it, and, it, and it seems like there's just, you know, kind, kind of a um, culture of, you know, that I, I don't know how, what, how to describe it, like the macho persistence, you know, like, you know, just bloodied but unbowed, keep charging forward. And, um, it, you know, as you look around, it seems like that pays off sometimes and doesn't others. So, so that helps make some sense of it. Now, how did you know, because you mentioned that w- with your companies that, you know, several of them grew to a point where it didn't make sense for you to be involved on a daily basis anymore. I would imagine that that's kind of hard to, to let go of something that you've been working on, something that you've been growing and developing. How do you know when it's time to step aside and let someone else focus on it? Uh, in my particular case, Brock, I have, from the get go, I'm always wanting to make sure that I'm not the, key person to be there the company should grow even without me not spending a single minute on it because otherwise i have put myself in the centerpiece as a centerpiece and without me something will not happen then i have not built a system i have just built a model where uh, i i am i am the business so basically i have not built a business but it's like uh, i have to be there to make it work so i for sure even when i start any company any project i'm always thinking how can this survive succeed and thrive without me being involved in it so that my ego will never come into the picture hmm you know that uh that seems to almost run contrary to a lot of what i see uh, you know, the, it, it just seems like on social media and such, there's a lot of attention drawn to entrepreneurs and founders, and it it feels like it's more about them than it is uh, a, a, an idea that they could that isn't dependent upon them. And so that's just such a different approach. In the early days, that will be the case, Brock, because uh, you know you need to be there because you know the you have thought about it long and hard others have not thought about it as as much as you have thought about it so obviously sometimes uh, you, you can't 
put everything in your brain on a piece of paper so you know more details than what's on the paper but sooner than later as more and more people get involved it's import- important that you don't hold back anything you give out everything you share everything share what what you are thinking what you are uh, afraid of everything and ev- anything that uh, keep keep it fully transparent so then automatically what is the worst that will happen you are no longer required so be it but at least the idea that you brought to life is thriving which is what is more important than you hanging on to that idea isn't it well definitely and you, you know one one of my questions is always around you know where do people get in their own way so you've been involved in many startups you've seen startups and you may have already answered this kind of by the opposite of what your answers were, but you know where does that founder typically trip themselves up? You know, one of the things I always say to people is operating on your strengths is not a luxury, it's a necessity. It is not like a style thing where I'm working on, on what I'm really good at. What else can you do? Like, for example, the name of your podcast is Imperfect Action. As opposed to what? There is no perfect action possible anyway, isn't it? So there has to be, It's as opposed to no action is what I'm thinking. Imperfect action as opposed to no action. Because perfect action is is an ideal thing that it's impossible for me to imagine the they would say, you know, Brock, I don't like to take imperfect action. I am all about perfect action. Like, who is determining that this was the perfect action anyway? Because it's such a dynamic world, right? So my theory is, if you're operating on your strengths, first of all, you will be in, in, in the flow, which means that you won't even feel like it's work. So it's a very joyful thing to do. Second, you will make things happen at a much faster rate compared to others who may not have that strength. But as you grow your company, you will, because nobody is a superman or a superwoman, there is no way they can say, you know, I can do everything at whatever speed it needs to be done. So it's important to bring other people who will fill in the places where they have they are operating in their strengths and together it's like a choreography something like an ensemble which will produce some amazing music and it will be a joyful journey to watch and to be part of so when somebody tries to say you know oh um, it will take me more time to explain to someone i would rather do it myself although it's not my area of strength that is where the ego is coming into the picture rather than saying, I'll find the right person to do the job. Even if it costs me more, that's fine, but I want the best output to come in. Once they realize that the idea is more important than the person, they will stop getting in their own way. You you know, when we talk about operating from strengths, not being a luxury, but a necessity, I mean, that that resonates deeply for me because uh, I... For myself, I've had a hard time figuring out what my strengths are or, you know, 
put put it another way, I always kind of think that if it's something I'm good at and it comes easy to me, well, then then it's good. Then it's easy for everyone. And so it, it must not be that valuable. And it's the things that are hard for me that must be the valuable things. And I realize that's totally backwards, but it's taken me a long time to kind of realize that and figure that out. How did you become aware of what your strengths were and, and what to really focus on versus, you know, this skill is important too, so I should spend time developing that? I'm so glad you asked this question, Brock, not because I want to talk about myself, but I, I am a teacher at heart. So I always tell people, how do, how do they discover their strengths? And I have a seven-part process for doing it, but I won't go through all seven things, but I'll go through the most important one. It is to observe the meaningful and high-stakes requests that are coming your way, asking you for help. So what do I mean by it? The marketplace always knows what your strengths are. People around you know what you are really good at. When they ask you for a help request and the stakes are high for them and it keeps happening repeatedly, then you listen to these requests, then you will figure out a pattern where your strengths emerge on their own. For example, if you are good in negotiating and everybody around you know it and people keep asking you for helping them with negotiating a contract or even buying a car or something, and it keeps happening every now and then. For you, you may not observe it because it comes naturally for you. It's common sense, but for them, it's rocket science. So it's to take the time to listen to these requests that are coming your way. Even if you go back 30, 60 days in your email and just scan through them and find out if somebody says, Brock, can you help me here? Can you help me there? And the qualifying criteria is the request has to be high stakes. That means your help should be meaningful to them and it should make a material difference. The quality of help you provide should make a material difference in the outcome that they will produce in that particular situation. When you become aware of this, your strengths automatically emerge. So that that's interesting. The the high stakes, the the meaningful, not just help me move a couch, although that may literally be one of your strengths. Um, yes. But uh, but but really, kind of digging deeper at what others have observed in you, um, and that sounds you know when you say it, it, it sounds obvious and common sense. Although I can you know attest from my own life, I, I tend to look internal and try and work it out versus the more obvious of just what is it that other people are seeing. Um, That's right, because uh, it it is a problem for you and all the other smart people like you are there. Because you want to figure out things yourself, Brock. Because you are so good at so many things. A simple question like, what are my strengths? Because you are smart, you want to say, I should be able to figure this out. I am a smart person. When in fact, you don't even need to use your smartness. You just need to listen to the marketplace. But that will be boring, isn't it? So you would rather make it more complex and say, let me figure this out. Let me make a science project out of it. And then figure it out. Yes, you speak some good truth there. Um, <laughs> de definitely. Definitely. And, you know, I, I laugh just because, uh, yeah, to totally describes uh, my, my own approach, which hasn't always worked out so well. Um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned, and I, I think it kind of ties into this, 
is blind spot insurance. And I, I've never thought about it that way. Can you say more to that concept? See, first of all, all of us know and very well acknowledge that we all have blind spots, right? So there is nobody who will say, you know, I am so different. I am unique. I am somebody who has been bestowed with a boon from God. I don't have blind spots. Nobody is as arrogant as that, isn't it? But when they know that it's a guaranteed possibility, like imagine an auto insurance or a life insurance or something, nobody is buying that because, you know, they want to, they plan to get into an auto accident, isn't it? They just know that it might happen. Why is it that when they know that there is more possibility of hitting a blind spot, they don't buy a blind spot insurance? It is fascinating, isn't it? Because nobody thinks of it that way. What is a blind spot insurance? It could be as good as a paid mentorship arrangement. I use the word paid very carefully because sometimes people use it in a soft fashion which means that they will convince one of their smart friends and say they will buy them lunch and say, let me get some mentoring advice. And it, it may work or it may not work. I am saying it may not work because if you don't pay for something, you don't play full out because there is nothing lost by not paying attention. You will feel good that, you know, I had a mentoring conversation with a super cool friend but I didn't do anything about it. You, you hide the fact that you didn't do anything about it. Why didn't you do anything about it? Because you never paid for it. There was nothing lost there. So that, that for me is like a blind spot insurance. I'm sure you listen to podcasts uh, so uh, and then you read books and everything. All the knowledge acquisition channels for me is a blind spot insurance when it is done in a disciplined fashion. When it is run, done in a haphazard fashion, it is intellectual entertainment. In the name of uh, uh, acquiring knowledge, you are just getting entertained because you don't have any chance of doing anything with it, but you want to feel good that you are not wasting your time. You're not watching Judge Judy, but you're listening to a podcast. But what have you done about it? Maybe nothing, but you feel good that you are not wasting your time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so then I immediately think back to the other. Yeah, yes, but I listen to it on two x speed, and so I, I uh, get it done faster. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, but I, you know, I, I appreciate this idea of intention and purpose, and, and not just listening, not just entertainment, but really thinking about and then taking the time to put it into action. Uh, let me ask you this, and you may not have an answer for it, but as someone who's involved in, in startups, and to me, you know, when, when you're putting business ideas into action, you're, you're not thinking about yesterday, you're not thinking about today, you're thinking about the future, what will be important tomorrow. What are the, you know, the, the trends or the ideas or the things that you think are going to be really important in the next, you know, one to three years that we should really start paying attention to today? I would say, I mean, I'm not a big uh, trend observer, but uh, I'm always looking at what is happening, right? So if you look around, the amount of things that are being disintermediated is very, very high, right? So the, what we used to 
take somebody to make something happen like a, we used to use travel agents to book our uh, travel stuff uh, when was the last time you and i booked through a travel agent maybe we do it because we have a long term relationship with them but we know that it is not necessary to use a travel agent you can do almost everything on the internet right so the way i always think about things like that is anything that can be put in a process either will be automated outsourced or completely eliminated so what is that that cannot be put in a process anything that is creative stuff anything where you have to choreograph things anything where you have to bring an idea to life you got an idea and then you are bringing it to life the entire sequence of steps to do that and uh, those things are very difficult to automate outsource or eliminate so i always tell people especially young people when they ask for advice i say you have to become an entrepreneur not because you may want to be an entrepreneur but it what it will make out of you in the path of becoming an entrepreneur because you do a lot of things uh, you need to learn a lot of things and that side effect of you becoming a better person is already well worth the price you pay to become an entrepreneur so in other words you even if you don't want to start your own company i always tell them find someone who is already has a company don't worry about asking them to pay you money just go and say what are you struggling with what is your uh, uh plan for the next year and start helping those people to achieve their goals and dreams because in the process you grow and when you can create value from next to nothing you will never be out of fashion well i'm going to switch gears on you just a little bit here rajesh and uh on your website you mentioned that you create thank you cards yes T- tell us about the thank you cards first of all i'll tell you a very quick story about why i even thought about the thank you or anything on that fashion right so i used to give a talk called practical generosity what is practical generosity and why am i use the word practical with generosity is because if the generosity is not practical which means that you start giving without taking care of yourself very very soon you will there will be nothing left in you you will be almost spent so when i mean by what i mean by practical generosity is help people in the core area of your strengths because it will take less time and you will be like a santa claus giving gifts all day long so that is practical generosity now whenever i used to give this talk brock on the stage when i was there everybody will nod their heads and then uh, the talk is there on youtube i'll send you the link nobody would question me because it's difficult to say bad things about somebody who is talking about generosity it's politically incorrect isn't it so nothing would happen on the stage even the questions would be very logical and everything off the stage it was very different people would say you know i like everything you know but uh, i don't know whether it real life it's it'll all work i said why they would say you know um, i used to help a lot of people especially when i was in, in my engineering or when i was in graduate studies i helped a lot of people today some of these people have become ceos and everything they don't even remember me i would say 
what did you expect? You shared some of your notes in the graduate school, so you wanted some shares from their company now? What are you expecting? Is no, 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 you are getting it wrong. I just wanted some acknowledgement that I played a part in their life. If you think about it, all they were looking for is to just know that they were their life was meaningful and they made some some meaningful contribution to somebody's life. So rather than the generosity, I found that people have a lack of gratitude problem and people would carry this incompleteness when somebody did not acknowledge them for the contribution they made. They would carry the burden for years and sometimes decades. They would remember that. And that's when I thought the person who got the contribution from them who was the recipient of the contribution may not even realize that the other person is feeling so down because that person was not acknowledged. They must be on the, moving on with their life, thinking everything is fine and dandy. When in fact, the other person is thinking, feeling so incomplete. So they were taken for granted, but the person who is taking them for granted is blissfully unaware that the other person feels uh, they have been taken for granted. That's when I realized that you know, I have to write a book about gratitude in a very practical way, not making it look like morally, you need to do this, it's ethically right thing to do, but practically expressing gratitude is one of the fastest ways to recharge your relationships. So from even from a business standpoint, it is the right thing to do. Even it's the right thing to do anyways, but if somebody wanted a business justification, it's also the absolute right thing to do because on your own, you can only do so many things. You need a lot of people help all the time. It is your duty to express your gratitude. So with the book, it has forwarded by Marshall Goldsmith, whom you might know. I included 10 thank you cards. It is for those people who read the book and say, yeah, I need to thank people. Uh, I need to buy a greeting card, thank you card. I don't have time. And they, they, it becomes an intellectual entertainment. So I included 10 cards in the book. And I started receiving thank you mails from people who received thank you cards from other people that I don't even know who they are. Saying that, you know, the, your thank you cards made a big difference because I thought my friend Rob had taken me for granted when I got this beautiful card from him, I know that he was just busy or uh, he was always had some great feelings for me and he was always thankful for what I did. So thank you so much for creating these cards. So I was happy that it's making a positive change. So recently I put 101 cards together and called it a box of thoughtful cards and uh, released it in the, in the marketplace. Yeah, I think that is definitely the the marketplace telling you're onto something good when you're getting thank you cards about thank you cards. <laughs> Some amazing. sort of a meta thing. There. <laughs> well, as we wrap up here, uh, first off, where can people reach you? Where can they find you? I have my blog, uh, which is my whole name, uh, rajeshseti.com. So I put a ton of stuff there. There are some... Uh, free books there. A lot of what I do, I give it away for free. 
and then there are some things that are also free but they have a premium option like for example advisor if they go to the uh, advisor.com they can always use the app for free forever because 30 minutes a month is completely free and then there is if somebody says you know i can't get enough out of this 30 minutes i'm hell bent on improving myself more than 30 minutes a month then it's uh, like 60 dollars a year uh, as of now Fantastic. And, and my final question that I always like to ask us is, how can the listeners help you? What would your ask be of them? Uh, it's a very interesting question. I always think that uh, God has given me a lot. So anybody has uh, any comments or feedback any of any of my projects, I'm always listening to the marketplace about Advisor or Thoughtful Cards or Anything that they read, uh, I'm easy to find on the internet. So I'm big on feedback. I heard a statement uh, one day, somebody said, feedback is the breakfast of champions. Uh, For me, I don't consider myself as a champion. I consider myself as a work in progress, which means I guarantee work and progress is left to God. That is how I think about it. So feedback is super important for me. I'm always looking and hunting for feedback. Very good. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. You're most welcome, Brock.